This is Comic Shenanigans, Episode 75, Comic Reviews, the week of May 1st. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number 75. I'm looking at comic reviews for the week of May 1st. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and welcome once again to the show. Uh, not a lot of comics came out uh, last week. I guess it's because it's, we got uh, five Wednesdays this month, so maybe that's they're trying to sparse them out a bit. Uh, who knows? But uh, after last week's pretty massive week, uh, this week I think I think I read around 20, 21 books, and there's only maybe five or six, maybe seven that didn't get reviewed. So there was a lot less overall that came out. Um, first book I want to take a look at is Action Comics number twenty. Um, so this book is in that weird kind of one year ago gap, which is an odd placement for the story. I don't really get why. I guess it's because they want to put Lois at a different point in her life. Uh, this is written by Andy Diggle, our work by Tony Daniel. Um, not a bad book. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, you have Lex kind of tr- having a plan against Superman. Uh, I think I, in a lot of ways I enjoy this at issue a little bit more than last, but it still had some issues. Superman just doesn't quite feel like Superman. I Obviously he feels different in the New 52. I'm just I haven't quite warmed up to all that yet. The caution I've kind of gotten over, but it's more just he, he definitely acts a little bit different. Um, here he's got some issues with what he sees and what he's going up against and uh, Luther has a certain strategy that he's using and uh, Luther also uses his own kind of exo-armor <coughs> Excuse me. Um, which is pretty cool. I wasn't a huge fan of the World of Krypton backup, but it, it was alright too. Um, I don't know. I, I, we're getting, finally we're getting a little bit more of like Lex actually having a plan and going up against Superman in some way. Um, that being said, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, it, it wasn't bad by any means. And the artwork is actually pretty snazzy by Tony Daniel, but there's certain aspects of it. Again, Superman kind of acting in certain ways, the, uh, him being like, oh, you undressed me, and, like, I don't, I, I guess this sounds stupid, but, I mean, there's just certain little things that kind of bugged me. Um, at least the villains from the last issue weren't really around, because I found them to be kind of dumb. Um, the backup is written by Scott Lobdell, with uh, dialogue by Frank Hanna and Philip Tan on pencils. Uh, the main book, though, the main attraction here, uh, with Superman versus, I guess, the hybrid, uh, it's by Diggle and Tony Daniel. Uh, I think overall I gave it about a I think I gave it about a seven, and yeah, I think that's about fair. Uh, next up is Age of Ultron number seven. Obviously, issue number six had the big twist where we once again have a Marvel event where you think it's one thing but it changes about midway through. Uh, the problem is I feel like we took five issues to get to the Savage Land basically into the point where Wolverine went back in time and then he killed uh, Yellow Jacket or sorry, Hank Pym in the last issue, issue 6 of 10, and in this issue, we kind of get to see the world, like, I feel like this should have been issue 2 or 3, like, I feel like they needed to get through this faster to get to this point, because, and like, at this point, like, why is it even called Age of Ultron? Like, it's basic, I, I just feel like this is frustrating, because it's not really, it, unlike Avengers vs. X-Men, because there was still an underlying component of Avengers vs. X-Men, even after the Phoenix Five happened, um, but here it just feels like, you know, there was Age of Ultron, we saw Ultron did something, although we never actually got to see really what it was, and then the heroes were kind of scattered and didn't know what to do, but then they all kind of decided at the same time to go to the Savage Land and met up with Nick Fury, who was still there, and then they decided to go to the future to take the fight to Ultron, and in, in the past, Wolverine, Wolverine decided to go into the past with uh, Sue Richards and uh, kill uh, Hank Pym back in the past. Um, a lot of work to get to that point. Um... Brian Michael Bendis wrote this issue. The uh, present was uh, illustrated by Brandon Peterson uh, with Paul Mance and Colors. And in the past is by Carlos Pacheco uh, with uh, Roger Martinez on inks. Um, so, I mean, the artwork was a lot more solid in this issue than I think it had been previously. Um, a lot of this, a lot of the time spent here, though, is, you know, Wolverine and uh, Sue coming back, making their way back to the present finding things that aren't really what they thought they would be, or that nothing looks the same, and it looks like Captain America has a, has an eye patch now, and it's not the Avengers, but it's the Defenders, and Doctor Strange is still there, it looks like Star-Lord's there now, um, you know, Wolverine, Hulk, they're all on the team, 
uh, a weird version of Cyclops. Um, I don't know. I just this kind of bog bothered me because we spent so much time kind of looking at oh the world is different now. Um, I feel like back in the day they could have done like they could have done all the setup in like an issue or two, and then actually had a really good exploration of this new present. But at this point, I, I almost feel frustrated and impatient because not because I don't necessarily want to see how the world is different, because there's a I mean there's there's a whole world of miniseries that could be done just based on the fact that Yellow Jacket wasn't there. What does this change the world? That's fascinating. However, you don't do it uh, after six issues of a, uh, of a miniseries have already passed, and now you have three issues left. We're going to introduce you to a whole new world, but we can't really spend time in it. And at some point, things have to get fixed. So I just feel very frustrated that this book feels like it was going to be one thing, which was cool. And now it's it wants to do something else completely, which is fine. But don't do it when you only have three issues left. Um, Bendis has a, an, an issue, I think, in a lot of his events. He does some really great build-ups, and then he hurries the conclusion. Like, he doesn't know how to properly pace his books. And I feel that is definitely the case here. Like... I don't, there's not enough time to see, you know, what's going on with Tony Stark. Is he kind of ruling the world with an iron fist now, literally? Like, what's going on? I almost don't have time to want to care about this, because I'm also wondering, what happened to the future team? Um, because they went to the future, and, uh, what happened, and obviously the, the present team doesn't exist anymore. I just don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand why this is, this is the choice that was made. Um, there's just not enough time left to really... As far as I'm concerned, and maybe Bettis will prove me wrong, but it just feels like they're hurrying the conclusion, and that this event really starts to feel like, who the fuck cares? Um, it's so time travel centric to begin with, but that didn't have to, that wasn't, like, that, that might have been alright. We already knew that, you know, the world was going to go back to normal, so who really cares what's going on in the present? And then they switched, they changed the timeline, which, realistically, I mean, only once really in Marvel history has an event in the past really changed the current future or for current present and that was an age of apocalypse and that was only the first time and ever since then they basically respected the idea that it's its own world um because it doesn't actually make sense that um in marvel universe timelines uh if you go back in time and change something you create a new world well age of apocalypse was the one time where that wasn't true and i think they were trying to kind of go that way with this and now i just don't really know where we are um I don't know, I just find it immensely frustrating. Not because it's a bad series or a bad book or bad concepts, it's just the timing, execution, and planning of the entire event just feels, seems faulty. Um, and I sort of spent so much time on that, but I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. I, just, I found it irritating and frustrating, uh, and it was hard to get past that at times. Uh, next up is All New X-Men number 11. Quite enjoyed this. I've been enjoying this book since the beginning. It's been really entertaining. Uh, so there might be some weird sound effects in the background. I'm, it's uh, it's getting warm in Canada now. Um, so I've, in a, in a bid to uh, keep my energy costs down, I'm trying to keep air conditioning off as long as possible, which means opening up windows, especially in the studio, and that means sounds are going to seep in. So I apologize in advance. Um, what bothers me about this issue of all new X Men is that there is no sense of drama because I've already read Uncanny X Men and I know what happens. I know the angel goes with Cyclops, so because of a weird shipping schedule uh, that they really should have planned better, this did not feel like, you know, oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen. It felt more like we already know what happens, and we're just kind of seeing it happen again uh, from a slightly different perspective. I do like the idea here that Jean Grey is really out of control, and I like that uh, the uh, the cuckoos kind of take her to task for that. Um... I like that Warren Worthington is kind of speaking for himself and is like, I'm I'm leaving here. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, I also like that you have the idea that Mystique and um, uh, Lady Mastermind are really messing around and really kind of stirring the pot, and that's going to pretty much come back to haunt the X-Men, especially it looks like in the next issue. Um, so that's really interesting, and I'm interested to see what the Uncanny Avengers really have to say about what's going on uh, based on what's been happening you know, because of Mastermind. At least that's what we're led to assume. Plus, I want to see what Havoc has to say to a younger version of his brother, uh, which is a fascinating concept. Uh, artwork is extremely well done here. I mean, first of all, Bendis does a great job on the script. As much as it didn't... It wasn't as suspenseful because we already kind of knew where it went, unfortunately. Um, the artwork was great by Stuart Eminem and uh, Wade Von Grabager, who's 
I think he's preferred inker and usually does an amazing job. Um, just excellent stuff. Uh, next up is, uh, sorry, did I give that a rating? That was an 8 out of 10. Next up is Animal Man number 20. Uh, really dug this. Didn't know what to think of it. Was a little confused because I'm. I feel like I, I feel kind of stupid sometimes. I feel like sometimes I read things and I don't give them a. Like I'm. There's so many books I got to read. So sometimes I, I start glimpsing or. Sorry, that's the loudest bird I've ever heard by me. And probably the sickest sounding bird. Um. So we got the the Return of Red Thunder is what it's called, and it looks like. See, I I, I missed a lot of issues at the beginning, so I did, it took me a long time to realize what was really happening here. Uh, and that it was uh, Buddy Baker uh, as his character, but it was really, really interesting and and to see what the character kind of does and, and what this... It's basically watching a movie happen, but it's fascinating. And um, I won't say much more about it, but it was really kind of interesting perspective on fame and heroes. And, uh, yeah, and at times almost deeply upsetting as well. And But uh, really cool. I really enjoyed it, and it kind of shows... What can happen? You try to do the right thing, and sometimes it doesn't matter how much you try to do the right thing, uh, you still end up failing. Uh, really well done. A great read. Uh, I gave this, I think, a 9 out of 10. Um, and I was surprised, but I mean, Animal Man's been like that. Like, uh, it'll be really good, and then really inconsistent, and I can't always decide which way it's going to go. Because um, it, it's just, it's all over the place. Uh, this issue, let's see, it was written by. Um, uh, Jeff Lemire, I believe, and I worked by, uh, I guess it was Lemire and Leon writing it, and Green the second on art, just looking at the cover here, um, I enjoyed it quite a lot, um, I don't know where it's going to go in terms of the series, but this kind of felt like a one-off, but a meaningful one-off that allowed you to kind of take stock of the idea of heroism, and how the parallels between the acting career of Buddy Baker, and where his life is kind of headed now, um, so I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Aquaman number 19. Really digging this, um, although I have really since the beginning. It's a enjoyable read. Uh, Jeff Johns is definitely a good writer. Um, this issue is uh, illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Uh, we're getting a lot of different kind of subplots because you got the idea of uh, Mira has kind of been stuck with that, I guess, old King of Atlantis. You have King Arthur himself trying to, uh, to deal with things as well. Him kind of being looking hunting down those who are hunting Atlanteans down basically and the idea that he's talking to I guess Topo the monster which I actually really liked um you also have the continuing idea of you know what's going on with uh oh what's his name um Ocean Master uh I love the idea that like he's they're like you know you got murder charges he's like you know I was I was hunted I was you know we were we were attacked and I was defending my people, and I actually really like that, because, like, at the end of the day, Ocean Master's not necessarily wrong, um, uh, because he, he's, def he was defending his people, he was doing what he should be doing, uh, and I actually really like that, that he's, he's a villain, but he's not a real villain here, he's, he, he's, he's misunderstood by the surface world, because they, they're not getting it, they don't understand that he was, there was aggression against his people, he was defending them, yes, it resulted in deaths, but you can't really say he's necessarily wrong. Um, and at the end here, there's some ex there's an explosion. Some people die. Um, again, more with Mira at the end, and uh, it looks like Mira has a first husband. Um, anyways, this this was an entertaining read. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes next. Uh, Aquaman continues to be a pleasure to read every month. I give this an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Batwing number twenty. Uh, I didn't really get much care for this. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it had some good concepts and ideas, but the way it was actually kind of handled didn't really work for me. Uh, Palmiotti and Gray wrote it with Pensica and artwork. Um, I just... First of all, there's some shots here with, like, Batman's, like, grinning when he's on... There, there's a TV screen he's watching, and it just felt odd and out of place. Um, I'm just not sure how I feel about seeing this character either. Like, I really like the first Batwing, and... Seeing this Batwing in uh, in uh, uh, in Africa didn't feel as natural because he didn't live there and he's just kind of kind of zooming in. I do like the idea that we're seeing how uh, Luke Fox's dad, Lucius Fox, is kind of not really a big fan of what his son is trying to do with his life and not wanting to find a job with William Enterprises right away, not realizing that he's taking on the mantle of the Bat, who is also Bruce Wayne. Um, 
And I, I like the villains here. It reminded me a lot. Like, it kind of felt like Thundercats, but given a, a slightly more adult twist at times. Uh, it wasn't a bad issue. Um, I just want something... I don't know. It feels weird because I was... I did kind of like the Batwing character, the original Batwing. And then this is a hard a hard right turn. Uh, obviously, they, they this, I'm feeling like Batwing might, might, must have been a book that was going to approach cancellation of some kind. Um... Because they quickly threw out the old character in like in a half-assed way and threw together a new Batwing. Um, first of all, Batman doesn't use his own like a Batwing rig on his own. Yeah, he just doles it out to other people. Like considering how much money it would cost to be able to create it, he's just giving it away to a lot of different people, but not using it himself or giving it to his most trusted allies. It just seems like an odd decision. Uh, I gave that a seven out of ten. Next up is Detective Comics number 20, so we get uh, more of the um, storyline here, well, basically the end of the storyline with uh, the Emperor Penguin, which I kind of dug um, over, I mean, it was kind of actually pretty interesting. Uh, I in, I'm intrigued to see what happens with this Emperor Blackgate now, because he may have changed his name. Uh, he does kind of go down a road near the end where I wasn't as interested, Um He was more interesting before he was kind of souped up and had abilities of his own. Um, But it is interesting to see kind of what what his his deal is. Um, Also, I like that we have uh, Oswald Cobblepot does something that you wouldn't have expected from him, which is nice as well. Uh, Batman versus Emperor Penguin. It definitely felt like uh, Batman was not being illustrated that well. Not sorry, not being written all that well because. I mean, yes, he might underestimate a villain, but like not to the point where like he's getting his ass kicked this quickly. Um, anyways, John Lehman wrote it, artwork by Jason Fibach. It's actually really some solid, some yeah, some solid stuff. Um, for like I, if I really like something, I'd like to have it eventually on trade on my shelf. Uh, otherwise, I'll just keep it in singles um, and eventually maybe sell it or what have you. I'm not as a as much of a collector, keep them all the time anymore as I used to. I'm more likely to. Over time, things give things away or sell things or whatever. Um, but this is a storyline I would probably want to buy again and trade. I really liked Fabox artwork. John Lehman did a pretty good job with the scripting. Um, I don't think this was the strongest issue in the arc, but I still pretty much dug it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Earth 2, number 12. Um, again, this is not as good as some of the previous issues have been. Uh, I still like what James Robinson's doing here. This issue just didn't quite feel as strong. Um, I'm not sure why. Uh, Robinson wrote it. Nicholas Scott back on artwork. Or sort of still on artwork. Uh, this is the last of the kind of uh, Fate Against Wotan story. Which which has been entertaining. And we're actually getting to see Dr. Fate now. Um, however, what didn't work for me was some of the things that happened kind of at the end. You have Alan Scott kind of quickly showing who he is to Jay Garrick. Um, and to uh, Dr. Fate. I feel like like that part, the the association at the end, felt a little uh, rushed and not as uh, natural. And it, and even the defeat of Wotan felt very quick. I mean, I get that once they're back on Earth, uh, Doctor Fate was able to access more powers, etc. It just felt a little too easy. Um, but I did like the idea that, uh, and it felt almost unfortunate timing that a lot of the issue takes place in Boston and all these wonders fighting overhead and. Recent, given that what recently happened in Boston, kind of was not unfortunate that that's where it was uh, kind of centered. Um, but you know, overall, still enjoyable. I like again. I liked uh, Kendra and Alan doing a bit of their own uh, investigations and finding things they didn't expect to see. And I like that the cliffhanger, not cliffhanger, but the ending of this issue definitely is the idea that we're going to see. Um, oh, now I forget his freaking name. The villain here, um, Steppenwolf basically being confronted by the wonders uh coming up soon so which could be really cool so overall still a good read seven and a half out of ten um next up is hawkeye number 10 this is one of the few hawkeye issues i wasn't a huge fan of um i mean people who've listened to prior episodes or the book of the month club episode know that i pretty much adore the hawkeye book uh this issue did not quite work for me in the same vein uh it's written by fraction with artwork by frank Abilla. Um, I it, it just kind of felt like a the artwork was very different. Uh, it's a very different sensibility. It's didn't feel like it was really like you're getting this weird, creepy character and his backstory instead of really seeing more of 
uh, what what Clinton is doing, and I wanted more Clinton because I really like Clinton, and I don't really like the uh, the look of this character with the weird mask and the like the the, the teardrop. I didn't really care for that. Um, I'm still really sad that Grills got basically killed, um, but we didn't see much progression from where last issue kind of left off. Um, we just kind of more saw build up to get to that point. Uh, although I do like when. Uh, Clint is just kind of working out and just shooting arrows. He's just like, hey. And she's like, hey. And then they're both kind of shooting things. And then you have, again, showing again that Grills dies. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the villain. I wasn't a huge fan of the whole issue being spent telling you the origin of the villain. Because I didn't really care about him all that much. Um, the artwork by Frank Avila was okay, but it was not David Aja. Uh, I still gave it a 7 out of 10. Cause it was still an entertaining read. Uh, just not what I would have expected. Uh, and I've come to expect a lot more from this book. Uh, next up is Indestructible Hulk number seven. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of what's going on with this book, mainly because I was really digging it when it was Lana Francis Hugh, and now it's Walter Simonson, who, yes, he's a giant in the industry and he's an amazing artist, but uh, it's his art just doesn't feel that current anymore. Uh, it, it's almost like the the overabundance of of uh, something in his pencils. Uh, it's almost too muddy, too busy. That being said, I don't think a lot has really changed in his art. It's just sensibilities have changed of from fans. Like I look at his version of Thor here with the giant like knee pads, and it fits in quite well with his uh, his legendary Thor stuff. However, it just doesn't quite feel like it fits the current sensibilities for the character. Um, but I did like seeing this version of Thor again. Again, those are gigantic uh, boot pads, or like the, the they almost like the shin guards. I mean, they, basically the top of the boot that kind of comes up and protects them, but they kind of look ridiculous. Um, the story, very kind of simplistic. Um, it it felt like the art was getting in the way of the story in some ways. Like, I felt like uh, Mark Wade was doing his best to kind of write a story that Walter Simonson could really knock out of the park, but it wasn't a story I was all that enamored with reading, and the artwork I wasn't a huge fan of, so it kind of worked against him in this case. At least from my perspective, and who am I? Like, I'm just one guy. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that enjoy this a lot. It's just not for me. It's not like it's a bad comic. It's just, again, not quite to my taste. I gave it a 6 out of 10. It's a taste issue. Uh, next up is Iron Man 258.1. Um, we're going back to point ones because every once in a while we need to throw in a point one for no reason. This issue uh, basically takes place uh, during Armor Wars 2, but it's kind of an odd placement because it's 258.1. Now, I'm holding with me right now a copy of the Iron Man Armor Wars 2 trade. This covers uh, Iron Man 258 to 266, so it was a longer than the original Armor Wars. Now, my problem is 258 itself, if it's 258.1, technically it would come after 258. 258 itself ends with uh, a cliffhanger with Iron Man versus... Uh, the, uh, let's see, the Titanium Man. Uh, it just seems like an odd placement in general. Um, but, you know, I do like to, uh, complain about minute problems that aren't real problems, and I guess that's one of them. Um, so let me just, uh, let's go down the, who wrote this issue. Uh, this issue is, let's see, uh, it, it's written by Michelini, and, uh, who's, Hasn't been on Iron Man in a long time, as you can imagine. Um, and I'm liking that he actually, actually got a chance to write the characters. Um, and uh, you got so David Michelini and Bob Layton. And, I, you know, again, they wrote the original Armor Wars, so it's nice that they're having a chance to come back. Um, and now the art here... Sorry, I'm just going through the issue as we speak. Uh, Dave Ross did the breakdowns. Bob Layton did the... Uh, our finishes, and Michelangelo did the script of the Layton, and the Michelangelo did the actual plot. It's interesting that they kind of chose this era to go back to, um, and I feel like if you go into it, it doesn't quite fit into quite. Sorry, it doesn't quite fit into continuity, at least where they decided to put it. Um, at least in terms of the numbering, but again, I'm kind of a jerk with that kind of stuff. But it definitely takes place in and around like there's editor boxes giving you an idea of where it takes place, uh, even if it wasn't number 258, because they name-check certain things that happen around the 240s, etc. Um, you know what? And it was kind of a fun story. It was, it definitely felt very, very kind of early 90s, uh, in terms of the Iron Man armor, the storytelling, but again, it fits. 
Uh, it doesn't feel out of place. Um, again, modern fans of Iron Man probably aren't going to enjoy this that much because it has a lot of really old school stuff. Um, and it references a lot of things that are going on at this point in time. Justin Hammer, uh, the previous Armor Wars, Kathy Dare crippling uh, Iron Man. Um, I love all that stuff because uh, like when I first read Iron Man, I think I'm pretty sure my first issue, I'm not really sure to be honest. Because uh, I remember reading Iron Man, I think 310, or three around there, and it was Hands of the Mandarin Part 3, and that was like, or maybe it was 311. That was one of my first issues I remember actually owning. But I also own 290, and I don't know if I got it before or after 312, um, or 311, whatever number it was. So I'm a little bit torn, but I mean, I remember at some point going back and t- back and really loving Armor Wars and Iron Monger. Um, I remember uh, just being a huge fan of Iron Man, and for a long time, Iron Man was one of my favorite characters, long before the movie. I mean, I remember reading... Um, my mom, uh, at the time, I think I was like 13 years old, or, le- or not even 13, I think I was 12 years old, and my mom was at a co- in a conference at uh, Portland, and uh, she went to a comic book store there, and it like a weird, sketchy part of town, apparently, but she knew I wanted a comic book, and she picked me up Iron Man number one from Heroes Reborn. Now, obviously, Heroes Reborn has not aged well, and it hasn't gotten a lot of people kind of over time being like, well, that was a great book, but I loved it. <laughs> uh, again, I was 12 years old. I didn't really know a lot about Iron Man. Um, I'd seen a little bit of him during Onslaught. Um, and this was a, like an opportunity for me to really kind of sink into the character. And I remember I got the first three issues, and then I missed two, and then I had issues six to 12, and I loved the book. And then when it came back in Heroes Reborn, sorry, Heroes Return, I was like, oh, I'm totally on board for this. And I absolutely loved it. It was by Kurt Busiek and artwork by Sean Chen. Um, actually, I don't know for those who follow trade paperback uh, collections and that kind of stuff, solicitations, uh, they've actually announced, and I believe it's coming out in September, October, or maybe even November, but there's going to be uh, an Iron Man by Sean Chen and, uh, and Kurt Busiek Omnibus, collecting issues 1 to 25, their entire run together. And I am just super excited. But I remember during that period, I was just such a huge fan of Iron Man. I loved that book. And then uh, when Kurt Busiek left, they had uh, Joe Quesada came on with Frank Thierry. And they wrote the... Or actually, not Frank Thierry. I don't think at that point. I think Frank Thierry came on a few issues later. But they wrote the, the Mask and the Iron Man, which is the sentient armor story, which was brilliant. And then from there onwards, like I think up until issue 50, I was just such a huge fan of Iron Man. Issue 50 came on. Mike Rowe, who is well known for uh, Green Lantern, sorry, Green Arrow in the 80s, he came on. I hated it. Uh, it just didn't work for me, and I left the book. And I didn't read Iron Man for a while. It was two or three years later when Extremis came out, and I read that for six issues, and then um, I just kind of jumped off the book because I liked it, but I didn't really care for what the next kind of creators looked like they were going to be doing. And then uh, I just kind of was on and off with Iron Man for quite a while. Uh, at that point, like I didn't really read a lot of that book uh, after those relaunches. Uh, although I read some of it and I loved the, the Haunted, uh, where they brought back the Mandarin, and then um, that was during the, the uh, Tony Stark director of Shield era, and then it went into the Invincible Iron Man by uh, Matt Fraction, and then I read that until it concluded, and I really I dug most of that. Although near the end I was not as huge, as huge a fan, and now Karen Gillan is writing the character, and I'm not as not really that enamored with it. I feel like what part of what sold Iron Man for me is I love the continuity of the character. Um, obviously, in the more modern years, they kind of streamlined the continuity, and especially with Matt Fraction's run, there was a lot of characters and things going on, but they got rid of anything from his old life. Like I think once they killed off Happy Hogan, and they kind of had Tony kind of flirting with Pepper, and then the movie came out, and it was basically, no, Tony and Pepper, they're going to be together now. And I've never really been totally okay with that, mainly because I, when I first started reading... Pepper and Happy were together, or they were estranged, but then when I was really in Iron Man, again, with Heroes Reborn, a huge aspect of it was that they had gotten married finally, and I loved that, and so I'm still having problems with that. Anyways, that was a very long digression. It doesn't really matter, but I did enjoy this book, this Iron Man 258.1. Uh, I think there's only four chapters. Uh, I think it's going to be 258.1, 2, 3, and 0.4. Overall, not a bad start. Uh, I was originally going to mark it a little bit more harsher than it was, than, sorry, than I'm going to now. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. It was still good. Um, it showed its age a little, and uh, I don't know, it seemed a little outmoded, but I still liked it. Um, next up is Iron Man number 9. Uh, I gave this about a 6.5. Not a huge fan of what this book is doing. 
I'm not a huge fan of the space armor for one. I dismissed the old types of space armors. Uh, this is written by Kieran Gillen with artwork by Dale Eaglesham. I do like Eaglesham's artwork, so that's at least a plus because I really dig his his look here. And especially here, it's not as glossy as it sometimes is, and I think it worked for the characters. Uh, I still don't care about Death's Head, so I wish it wouldn't wasn't involved. Uh, interested to see what's going on with the that kind of recorder unit that's kind of acting bizarrely. But this issue just felt a little slow. Um, I don't know. It didn't quite work for me. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, it could have been more, but it also could have been a lot less. So I give it a, a 6.5 out of 10. Next up is Iron Man Coming of Melter number 1. Um, wow, didn't really care for this. Uh, I gave it about a 6. Uh, it feels like it's definitely a movie continuity um, in terms of the way that the characters are written. Uh, and the events that are kind of mentioned, and uh, I, I, it's all right. I just didn't really care for seeing this version of the Melter at all. Uh, this was written by Christos Gage, uh, artwork by Ron Lim, and then you have a backup, which is uh, basically the first appearance of uh, of the Melter. I don't really get why this happened, uh, except for to try and throw in a, a story that would take place during. The, the lapse between Avengers and, or I guess technically Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 or just uh, Avengers and Iron Man but it was never really explicit um, uh, Ron Lim's artwork kind of frustrates me in general, although his armor was alright, uh, Crystal Skate is worthy of a lot better than this I felt the script was just felt a little sloppy and slapdash, which is my quickly becoming my favorite adjective um, yeah, 6 out of 10 next up is Red She-Hulk uh, continue to adore this book. Um, this is not the best issue, but I still gave it a solid 8 out of 10. Uh, it's a good book. Um, I'm really loving the artwork by uh, Pagulan and Alves. Uh, Jeff Parker doing a great job in writing. Uh, I love the team-up between uh, Machine Man and Red She-Hulk and what they do here to try and find out more about the machine. Um, a lot of really good concepts used here. Uh, some fun action as well. There were some excessive boob shots of Red She-Hulk, though. Uh, I continue to love how the colors are done in terms of illustrating uh, the kind of pulsing, kind of um, uh, almost like the electricity or like the hum of everything that's going on in Machine Man. His visual just is so cool. I like the reds that are used in Red She-Hulk. They kind of there's a certain gloss to it which I like, uh, especially with uh, Jennifer Walters being here as well. Looking forward to having She-Hulk versus She-Hulk action. Uh, I dug this. It was fun. Uh, I gave it a, an 8 out of 10. It's a solid book, which I never expected to really love, but, you know, sometimes you can't decide the things that you're going to love, and this is definitely one of those cases. Um, this is all Red She-Hulk Volume 1, The Trade, that recently came out, will be the topic of an upcoming episode. Uh, I think Book of the Month Club, I think we return with the episode 82. I'm just trying to think. Uh, episode 76 that comes out in two days on the 8th of, Mar of May will be our Spotlight on Iron Man 3 episode. A week later is our... So that's episode 76. Episode 78 is a Talking Heroclix episode. Episode 80 will be our Star Trek in the Darkness Spotlight. And 82 will be the next Book of the Month Club where we'll be looking at Saga Volume 1, Red She-Hulk uh, Volume 1, and uh, Superman Secret Identity Trade. So you got to look for so those uh, are things that are coming up in the future. Um, anyways, I dug this. It's a great breed. If you haven't given Red She Hulk a try, you really should. It's a surprisingly fun and enjoyable read. Um, next up is Superior Spider Man number nine. Uh, well, I guess this is the big issue, isn't it? You know, I I don't I don't know. I mean, at some point we're gonna get Peter Parker back. So no matter how much they try to make these moments where like, oh man, did they really kill him now? No, at some point we're going to get you know Peter Parker back as Spider-Man. Um, I really like the artwork in this issue by Ryan Stegman. It was fantastic. Uh, the script by uh, Slot was fun and imaginative. I like seeing a lot of old heroes and sorry old uh, allies or um, like supporting cast members of Peter show up uh, to help him wage his mental war against Doc Ock. Doc Ock summoning the the visages of all of uh, Peter Parker's uh, enemies. Um, I like the idea that you know, um, Doc Ock is really kind of taken to the role of Spider-Man and showing that he is better, and he's trying to show that he is more responsible in a lot of ways than Peter ever was. Um, 
really cool. And then you got that the creepy kind of Peter being stuck in the bot in in the mindscape as the mind wipe happens, and he's losing things, and he doesn't know his name, and it's kind of heartbreaking. But well done. And at some point, we're gonna get Peter Parker back. So don't get your knickers in a twist. It'll happen eventually. Um, I I did enjoy it. It was a fun read. Uh, I can't wait. At some point, I would love to have Scarlet Spider come back to town. Um, but you know who knows if that will ever happen. Uh, I and it's unclear here too. Will Doc Ock still have a lot of access to Peter Parker's memories? Um, because that's part of what gave rise to the Parker fragment still being alive. Um, interested to see. Interested to see where they go from here. Uh, I did give it an eight out of ten, and I really love the artwork by uh, Ryan Stegman and the cover. Brilliant. I with them in the brain, and it's kind of like a maze. You see Doc Ock and Peter kind of finding each other. Great stuff. Uh, next up, after Superior Spider-Man, is Swamp Thing number twenty. Um, didn't really care for this. It, first of all, it felt like too easy to read. Like it was very, very quick and kind of boring. Um, a lot of Superman action, and I don't really care. I mean, this book has been in and of, like in and of itself a totally different thing. And then this issue just felt very. Like Spider-Man, sorry, Spider-Man. Superman's here and he's running around and he's gotta he's gotta figure out how to stop Holland. Um, eh, three by Charles Soule, artwork by Kano, um, and you have basically uh, Swamp Thing's dreaming and he's having nightmares because of uh, Scarecrow, and then you have um, Superman trying to kind of run from crisis to crisis, trying to save everyone. Uh, I don't know, it just felt very boring to me. Uh, very simple, quick read but not necessarily a good one. Um, so I gave it a 6 out of 10. Next up is Thanos Rising number 2. Now, although I didn't hate this as much as I didn't like, as I hated the first issue, as uh, someone pointed out earlier uh, in a pr- previous um, in talkback to a previous episode on HC Realms, um, I just didn't really care for this, and I don't really want to see more of this. Um... Again, some of my, my problems with it still there, with Thanos kind of being a bit of a wimp and, you know, him wanting to be loved. And, like, I like the idea that he's too smart for everyone else and he's trying to find something that will challenge him. That part's fascinating. I want to see more of that. Unfortunately, we don't get more of that. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote this artwork by uh, Simone Bianchi. Not a big fan of uh, Bianchi's work. That doesn't change here. Um, we're starting to see a little bit more of the Thanos we know peeking through, but there's still a lot of frustrating parts because he's still not the badass Thanos we like. And I don't know, like, I guess it's too cliche to have him always kind of be a badass, but I don't know. This this book just feels very frustrating because there was nothing... I did not in any way want to see a kind of a nerdy version of Thanos. And seeing that is just frustrating and very forgettable. And, I don't know, a waste of the character. The character's worth better than that. He's this, cra- you know, the crazed Mad Titan. I want to see more of the Mad Titan truly being mad. And I guess we're getting to the con- we're getting closer to maybe exploring the concept of his f- realizing his love of death, maybe. But we're not there yet, and this book is frustrating me. It's not as bad as it was before, so it's not like this is the worst book where I'm like, you know, don't read this, this is garbage. Um... But it's still not really entertaining me. I just I couldn't wait to be done. I just the issue felt very very slow. It was plotting. Um, it was it's hard to get to the point. I don't really know what the point is supposed to be. I just don't really care much for it. And I'm glad the issue was over when I got to the end. Again, it wasn't so awful. It was making me feel like it was painful. But I just couldn't care less. Uh, so I gave it a six. Uh, the next four books we're going to look at are Winter Soldier eighteen. Uh, which is going to be a 6. World's Finest, number 12, which is a 6.5. X-Factor, 255, which is a 7. And X-Men Legacy, number 10, which is also a 7. So as you can tell, we're really ending the week on a strong note. Uh, Winter Soldier 18, this book is almost over. Um, not a huge fan of this issue. Um, I feel bad because like I wanted this book to continue, but obviously it's, it's already kind of been announced that it's ending. Uh, Latour, I feel like maybe people didn't give him enough of a shot. Uh, now that being said, his issues haven't been that great, but I, you know, I, I, I wish that the character could have kept going and that the writer would have had more time to kind of explore the character. Uh, Nick Klein on artwork in this, uh, in this issue. Um, this issue, I did like that we're getting more idea of who, of who this ghost is, uh, and her backstory. We're seeing a lot of more of her history. The only problem with that is it felt extremely exposition heavy and not nearly as much about Winter Soldier himself seeing how he's going to get himself out of his predicament. 
Um, the artwork I kind of like, though. It was an interesting style. Um, I'm interested to see where the storyline ends. And I do think that the storyline will read much better in Collected. I think uh, being able to read all the chapters at once and uh, in a Collected edition will definitely enhance the reading experience because and get give me more than I really ended up getting here. I'm hoping that there's a greater sense of, con- of closure for the character as well because obviously uh, Latour's storyline is being cut short and it wasn't supposed to be over after just, what, one story arc basically. So I hope that there's a sense of closure in the next issue and, and I think next issue is the last one. Um, because I don't want it to just kind of end on any kind of cliffhanger or any kind of build up to what was supposed to come next but then it isn't. Um, I'm hoping it, uh, I almost want Black Widow to find out who he is again. I, I feel like that's something that should have been like a very long term thing and eventually we would have been able to see reuniting of the two and, uh, I don't feel like we're going to get that and that's unfortunate because I really like Natasha and, um, and Bucky together. Uh, so I gave that, as I said, a 6 out of 10. World's Finest, number 12. I don't know if they ever really know where they're going with this book. You're always kind of getting two parts of a story, but, uh, I feel like if they just kind of gave me consistently one part of that story might be good enough, uh, instead of just kind of going all over the place. Uh, Desaad's here, which is, that part is interesting. Um, it's written by Paul Levitt's artwork by Kevin McGuire, Geraldo Borges, or Borges, and Robson Roca. With inks by Kevin McGuire, uh, J.P. Meyer, and Wayne Foucher. Um, I like the McGuire panels a fair bit, um, although some of them seem a little too simplistic. Although I did love the shot of uh, Karen carrying, um, uh, what's her name, Helena, and in the air, and they're both in their, their uh, nice party dresses. That part was nice. But then you have this like months ago part where you have Power Girl still being in her old ugly costume, and uh, and it's interesting that there's no real discussion here as far as I know about um, the fact that she's wearing that new costume and not the old costume that she was wearing previously because she switched it after being in uh, Supergirl um, I don't know, this book feels like it has to be cancelled at some point I just feel like there's so much potential and it hasn't managed to really grab any of it and it feels like it's kind of taking place in some sort of weird vacuum and that's the problem with a lot of DC books is that they they don't feel like any longer like they're really part of that shared universe which as a longtime Marvel fan I love a feeling of a shared universe when uh, DC was doing its countdown to uh, Infinite Crisis that's when you felt like everything was coming together there was huge plans that was epic and everything kind of felt bigger and more related and then uh, after that, I mean, even during the times when it wasn't maybe as well written during a countdown, for example, you definitely got the sense, though, that things were happening in the universe. Everyone was kind of tied together in this grander universe, and maybe not all the characters would, would interact and uh, intersect with each other, but it was interesting because they were all in this shared universe, and it always felt like that at any moment you could see someone, like, fly by. Uh, whereas the New 52 has felt very insulated for the most part, unless you're a Bat family book or... Sometimes a Green Lantern family book. The Superman books are all over the place and not in any way connected most of the time. Uh, and the Batman ones, for well, I, I'm thinking more Batman and his ancillary titles. Uh, the ones not necessarily starring him, but more his sidekicks. Those have had a lot more crossover. The one, the other Batman featured books, though, besides Batman, uh, for the most part have been able to do a little bit of their own. But again, they have had periodic tie-ins as well. Um, so I gave World's Finest number 12 a 6.5 uh, X-Factor 255 this Hell on Earth storyline is almost over uh, that being said the first half of the issue I felt was kind of not that strong but it really got towards a nice climax uh, obviously the storyline's not over the idea that um, Mephisto kind of wins and then suddenly uh, his daughter has no real fight in her left which is interesting uh, you have Strong Guy and M fighting and Strong Guy kind of punches uh, M doesn't think that she's hurt her that that much, but she's actually appears that she might be dead. Uh, you have Tyr kind of making a momentous decision uh, because uh, the, like he can't let Mephisto live the way that this is right now. The team kind of gathering, uh, deciding to kind of help Tyr bring the fight back to Mephisto. Um, cool stuff. I'm interested to see where where we go from here. Obviously, it's been recently announced that X Factor will be ending shortly. Which is sad, but, you know, it's been going for over 10 years. That's a remarkable achievement for Peter David. Um, he's, you know, kept it going for so long, and he was in his own sandbox for most of the time, kind of unobstructed. It's one of those weird things where uh, you kind of want it to be part of a grander universe, but at the same time, 
being on his own allowed him to just kind of do his own thing and have more fun with it. And it made it a book that you could just be buying X Factor and you don't need to be buying everything else for the most part. Once you get past, um, you know, Second Coming in, in Messiah Complex, it really did kind of exist on its own and of its own. Um, so, I mean, I kind of dug this. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, and the last book is X Men Legacy number 10. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10, but still very interesting. Um, first of all, kind of messed up covers. Um, I love the covers here. Uh, I like the idea that you have Blindfold uh, using uh, Cerebro or Cerebra to kind of spy on Legion uh, while he's sleeping, and although he sleeps in the buff. Um, you have Legion trying to understand more about the future, so he makes a deal with the kind of Xavier uh, fragment of his brain, um, which is potentially dangerous because the Xavier fragment basically says you have to give me one minute unfettered access to everything, your, your mind, body, uh, powers, and you can't say anything about it, and this is part of the deal. And Legion takes the deal so that he can get a little bit of uh, um, precognition to understand wh how he's fated to basically end up going up against um, Blindfold. And then you get introduced to this, this character, the character who has the worst luck in the world that he's constantly up against. Basically, mutants have ruined his life in every single way possible. And it was actually kind of fascinating and, and a nice little bit of continuity being used um, by Simon Spurrier because you have, it all starts basically when he loses a leg and his young wife because uh, Onslaught goes crazy in Central Park and then uh, a sentinel comes around in, uh, to Alaska and um, he loses an arm and an eye and uh, then he moves to San Fran because there's no mood and violence there uh, but then there it was and uh, then he lost the rest of his limbs he's always in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, which is really, really interesting, and uh, it just doesn't matter what he does. And then uh, when after uh, after when the Phoenix stuff was happening during AVX, uh, there was a single cinder of errant Phoenix fire, and it lit him on fire. Uh, it was just interesting to see this character who has every reason to really hate mutants and hasn't really become a total villain. Um, but it's, it's just kind of interesting to see like one person being affected by the worst that mutant kind has ever had to offer over and over and over again. Um, but no, so this was uh, a fun read. I like the artwork, uh, very solid, uh, by Paul Davidson, a slightly different sensibility than we've had recently in prior issues, but pretty good. Uh, I don't understand the glowy face on the Xavier fragment, but whatever it is, what it is. Um, and that's it. So, that is every book I ended up getting a chance to read this week. Uh, I did not get a chance to go back and read Daredevil End of Days number 7, so hopefully I'll get a chance to read that prior to issue 8 coming out, and then I'll talk about both on the podcast. Uh, Dial Age number 12 came out, didn't read that. Uh, same thing with Ferris number 15, Green Arrow number 20, Movement number 1, which I had wanted to read, but I just, because I like Gail Simone, and I like, I forget who the artist is, but I like the artist as well, but I just didn't have time. Uh, also didn't get a chance to read Phantom Stranger number 8, Stormwatch number 20, or Ultimate Comics number, that's right, Ultimate Comics X-Men number 26. So, long breath, that has been episode 75 of Comic Shenanigans, our comic reviews for the week of May 1st. Um, as I said, in, as a tangent earlier in the episode, we've got some great stuff coming up over the next uh, four weeks. Uh, we have episode 76 will be our Spotlight and Iron Man 3 movie episode, uh, as I I basically uh, sat down with uh, my brother-in-law, Paul Scoras, who's been on the show before, as well as an, a, a new guest, uh, Tipor Mate, uh, who is a longtime friend of mine, uh, making his first appearance on the podcast. We saw Iron Man 3 on May 3rd, and then we sat down and had a chat about it for about an hour and five minutes. Uh, relatively short, because... Um, you know, there. Uh, Paul has young children who were staying at my house while we were recording the podcast. And the minute that the baby starts to cry, it's time to pack it up. So it'll be a little bit of an abrupt ending to that episode. Uh, next week on May the fifteenth, we'll be having our next Talking Hero Clicks episode, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, hopefully, we'll be having a special guest or regular guest, uh, Tom Kerr, uh, Nathan Struck. Hopefully, we'll be able to show up uh, because. Um, we're just hoping to get him because it's an important episode because we have a lot to talk about. And hopefully we'll be having a special new guest to the uh, to the Comic Shenanigans podcast in the way of Mike White, um, who's, uh, again, another friend of ours from the Heroclix uh, game. And uh, unfortunately, Leon Orlando will not be able to make it for episode 78. Uh, then episode 80 will be the Spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness episode. 
and so that will be going up on the 22nd, and on the 29th of May will be uh, the following episode, I guess, episode, uh, what, I, what am I up to, 82 in my head, uh, and that will be the Book of the Month Club, again, with Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok. So thanks once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. Uh, just to name check a few people, uh, Age of Butters, uh, Hulk 13, um, Overdrive. I mean, well, Overdrive is, is Tom Kerr. So, I mean, he's been on the show before. But uh, And I, I usually joke whenever I see Hulk 13 comment, I'm like, I, I like to believe that it's actually Tom under another alias, even though I know that's not true. Uh, just because uh, Tom is a huge fan of the Hulk. And I, I like the idea that he's also got a Hulk, a Hulk alias on HC Realms, and then he'll post, and then he'll post as himself as Overdrive as well. I know that's not true, and I, I don't mean to take anything away from the real Hulk Thirteen. And we really appreciate all your comments. Although I gotta say, when I, uh, I listened, or not I listened, I read your comment about uh, Iron Man Three on the Talking Hero Clicks uh, thread, and you'd said that you were disappointed by the movie, and I was like. Oh crap! Like I hadn't seen it yet, and I saw that you were disappointed, and I was like, "That can't bode well." I mean, you're a comic book fan, I'm, I, I think uh, you might be anyway. But if you're not liking this, like that doesn't bode well, and it made me a little bit nervous. And uh, when I did see the movie, I was talking to Leon Orlana about it. Again, we've been on the episodes before, and we were talking about the movie. He hasn't seen it yet, and he, he's not going to see it. I think till uh, like I, I think May 11th, so he's going to be a long time without seeing it. I told him I can't talk to him for like a week. Uh, because I can't help but drop little pieces of things like I didn't like about the movie, and he's trying to read into it. And anyways, uh, he was like, "Oh no, you're you're being like Hulk 13. You're you're making me bummed out before I see it." But you know, I can't help it sometimes. Um, anyways, thank you very much for listening to the episode. If you want to email me, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail dot com. You can like the show on Facebook. Uh, you can also uh, feel free to uh, put a comment on our HC Realms threads. Also, one thing as well is that um, if you want to uh, like us uh, or not like us, rate us on iTunes and write a review of the show, that'd be great. For some reason, I know that, and I think this was Asia Butters, but it might have been someone else. Someone had already written a, a comment, apparently, but for some reason, I cannot see it. Uh, I can't see any comments on the Comic Shenanigans podcast on iTunes. But I know that theoretically it exists because someone's told me that they did write it and they did put something up there. But for some reason, can't see it. So maybe if more people write little comments, we'll be able to see uh, see it show up, and that'd be great. But thanks once again for uh, for supporting the show and for downloading the episodes. It's a lot of fun doing these episodes. I say it every week, but you know I still do still enjoy it, and uh, I look forward to. Uh, well, this summer, I guess July 28th, I think, is when I'm going to be recording episode 100, or, or right around there anyway, and I'm really excited for uh, the 100th episode of the podcast, uh, and by then I'll be in my, in my new home, so in a new studio, and uh, it'll be a, a lot of fun. Anyways, thanks once again for listening. This is Adam Chapman signing off, and be sure to download episode 76, our Spotlight and Iron Man 3 uh, episode, going up on Wednesday, May 8th, likely around midnight. Thank you, and have a great day.